black man, white paper. This is Ibrahim Badmus. My guest today is Donald Brown, my former teammate, my brother. We've known each other for over 10 years now, going on year 13. Very proud of him. Really transformed himself from a basketball player to a trained professional in the sports performance industry. He's going to talk a little bit about that, how he got there, and what his next steps are in his journey. He talks a little bit about his father. Uh, we didn't mention this in the show, but his father passed away a few years back. Wanted to make sure everyone knew that. Uh, this is a good episode. Really proud of this man. Look up to him quite a bit. Won't waste any more of your time. Let's go. Yo. Man. <laughs> man. That is a... That was quite the experience. I won't lie. Oh, yeah. For, for, 40 minutes of user error. <laughs> technical. I mean, I don't even want to say technical difficulties because technical difficulties is letting you off way too damn easy. Well, you know, I'll take, I'll take full blame, but damn, man, like, all right, let's, this is a good place to start. All yeah. right, first of all, first of all, first of all, let me, let's start the right way and then we'll get into this. But uh, welcome to Black Man White Paper. This is Ibrahim Badness, uh, also known as A Badness. I got my guest here, good, good friend of mine, longtime teammate, uh, brother from another mother. My, oh, I, I, I would, I would say he's, Probably a, a bit of an inspiration to me as well. Donald Brown, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate it, brother. Super excited yeah. to be on this thing. Yeah, man. We, also, we don't just call him Donald Brown, by the way. So everyone, <laughs> he has a lot of different names uh, that he goes by. I'm just going to name a few because some of them just aren't appropriate for the show. So <laughs> we got DB, DBski, Don, the Don as well. Uh, and the rest, I'm just going to leave for uh, <laughs> user imagination. But yeah, man, let's, let's get into it, man. We, we had this crazy issue with this, um, this app. I don't want to say the app's name, but uh, there, we, had, we had 40 minutes ago, we tried to start this call. And it took 40 minutes for us to get to this point, which uh, I, there's a lot of user error. I will definitely take full blame for that. But there's a lot of stuff in this that um, could have been prevented as well. And I, I can say for one, like when I was sending you the link, the link actually didn't ha- it was, it wasn't complete. You know, so like I had to actually input the dashes myself for it to finally work so you can get on. Well, what I can say, even though I, I, I share your sentiment, I don't want to put the app on blast, but I will put Android on blast. <laughs> you know, if it was a, if it was an iPhone, I imagine it'd be no issue. But that's neither here nor there, right? Here nor there. You know what? And and this says a lot about like the development side of things. Um, when you create an app, you got to create two different apps. You know what I mean? You got to create the Android, the, the Android operating system, and then the iOS, uh, which are completely different uh, languages that you um, uh, that you're inputting. So, for someone who is, you know, a developer, uh, shout out to these people who are doing it. But uh, there just isn't. There's some stuff that just doesn't translate from the Android side to the iOS side. Obviously, when people are making apps here in this country. Uh, the first side they're going to do is all iOS because, you know, that's the, usually those people who own those are generally in the target market that everybody, you know, wants to, uh, you know, um, uh, attack. So knowing that it's, uh, it's clear that they've done a lot more work on the uh, iOS side than the Android side. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, man, we've been wanting to do this for a while. I'm glad we finally got a chance. And, uh, 
DB is quite a character, man. And I, I, you guys will realize this as you listen, but uh, he, he represents a lot of things to me. So um, just a few things that I can say for sure that he represents. Are you drinking? Yeah, yeah, I'm just pouring some water. Yeah, so uh, DB, number one, first and foremost, is a confident dude. He is 100% um, confident in his abilities and his capabilities, and I always admired that about him. Uh, I got a quick story about that. When we were in uh, college, because we played together as uh, teammates at Bucknell, uh, our coach made us fill out this one form about basically like to gauge what our self-esteem was. And it was almost like, uh, I think there's a few questions that revolved around like, um, how good do you think you can be? You know, and then there's like a, a measuring stick from like one to 10. And I remember like putting, you know, like seven or something like that. I was really like, you know, not self. I had, I didn't really have a lot of self-esteem at that point. And DB had like tens for everything. I remember looking at his form and I was like, wow. <laughs> I never forget that. I don't think you even remember this day this happened, happened. But I always remember this dude really believes in himself, man. Like I, I always admired that about you. Yeah, I appreciate that, brother. But yeah, you know, we all we all play different roles, different roles in our lives. Uh, we're confident in some more than others. So it just so happened that I was really confident, uh, undeservingly so in that mm-hmm. role, but <laughs> I was really confident in that, in that time of my life. Yeah. So uh, I'll explain a little bit about this. The reason I want to get you on, uh, we're both black men, but this show isn't just like designated for black people or black men. Um, I just so happen to be a black man and I wanted to start this. And the white paper piece is really the important piece. You know, white paper is uh, pretty um, universal term, but it's it def- depending on the industry, you can use it for just about anything. But what I really, really wanted it to mean was a metaphor. It was a metaphor for like a vision that you just haven't put uh, into you know reality yet. Um, and that could be a, a lot of things. It could be whatever you want it to be, but there's a, a reality that you're living in and then there's a reality that you have in your head. And in order for that thing in your head to become a reality, it needs to be put on a white paper. Um, it doesn't need to be, but my point is that white paper represents whatever's in your head uh, because you're basically putting that stuff down um, and trying to put it into reality. So with that being said, um, DB, uh, I know you've had you know, your fair share of um, you know, trials, tribulations in life, uh, and your fair share of you know, pivots in career path and things like that. Why don't you kind of just tell me uh, a little bit about um, the past and maybe like an instance where you were in a current, you were in a situation and you needed to, you didn't enjoy the situation you're in or you just, it wasn't appealing to you and you had a vision in your head and um, maybe it took time for that to be like actualized, but you still had this vision in your head of where you wanted to be it doesn't have to be specific but you knew like wherever I'm currently at this isn't where I want to be and then let's talk about like how you kind of turn that white paper in your head into reality yeah so you know to to start uh you you've already mentioned that you and I both played together in college and after college went on to go play in Europe uh in Iceland for 
uh, about six months after playing in Iceland, came back home, tore my ACL twice, uh, was devastated both times. And, uh, you know, basically took me a year and a half to get back into it. And then you and I, when I, when I came back into the uh, pro world, you and I reconnected in Germany uh, where you were playing for a team and uh, our teammate Charles and Chris McNaughton were, uh, were both there as well. So we reconnected there. And when I went out there, it just didn't feel right. And I, I, I came home and to the, to the dismay of my parents, I, I told them that it was time for me to move on from playing professionally. And I just think I hit this realization in my head that, there was life beyond basketball and I didn't need to keep, you know, trying my hand at something that I just didn't feel I was going to be my best at, Uh, whether it was due to physical or uh, physical injuries or mental engagement. It was, I just felt it was time for me to move on. And um, it was, as I said before, it was to the dismay of my parents, but, through that time, I was also nervous because I didn't know what I was going to do. So I was floating around maybe for about a year or so, uh, yeah. floating different ideas of what I would do next. And, you know, to make a long story short in this instance, I ended up falling on the strength and conditioning piece, the whether you want to call it personal training, athletic training, um, speed, speed and agility, whatever you want to call it, uh, fell into yeah. that. And it took me a while to realize that that was something that I could be pretty good at. Yeah, let me cut you off. Let me cut you off right there, because I do want to talk a little bit about what you mentioned earlier, Um, because about the, the dismay of your parents. And I'm sure you were highly disappointed, but. This I I don't want to like gloss over this piece because I think it's really important. There are times when a lot of us have this vision for ourselves in life and then others have it for us as well. And we dedicate a large portion of our life towards this thing. And then we get to this point where we realize that all of these um, dreams that we had or visions that we had of ourselves, and, you know, where we, our expectations is just not going to come into fruition and it's very devastating and it's, it hurts, uh, especially in this basketball world, because as a kid, I mean, a lot of your, you know, childhood, you spent just trying to become a better basketball player, full, knowing full well that, you know, if you had the opportunity, you would continue to play this professional place, go on the professional route, make money that way and, and always be a basketball player. Cause most people who play, they don't want to stop playing. Yeah. I mean, no one, mm-hmm. I, I no one ever wants to stop playing. It's a, there's an incredible joy that comes with it. So you yeah. just want to talk, I want you to kind of hit on that a little bit about how much of a shock and devastation that was to come to that realization that, okay, this is the end of this chapter. Yeah, so I, I'm actually glad you, you brought that up because I was thinking about this last night and, you know, formulating uh, – some talking topics or some things that you might mention. So I started playing basketball for the love of basketball. Uh, I just loved playing with my friends and my dad introduced it to me, you know, excuse me, introduced me to it. Um, 
And I just loved it. And as I grew older, going from middle school to high school, my dad was having difficulties at his job. Um, people passing him over for, uh, for promotions and him not being recognized for the quality work that he was doing. And it, it was really frustrating him. So I, I'll never forget it. My dad told me, son, I want you to be better than me. I want you mm -hmm. to have an opportunity to be judged solely based on your skill and not for anything else. Mm -hmm. And when I was at that age and seeing, seeing my dad going through what he went through, it really, um, put a, you know, put a, uh, lit a fire under me because I thought that, well, this is the only way to be, this is the only arena where you could be judged fairly, uh, where people aren't going to judge you for, uh, how tall you are, how you look, uh, it, they're just purely judging you on what you can do and how you can perform. So with my dad saying that, um, that kind of thrusted me into this incessant, um, this incessant mindset of I need to work out all the time. I need to be getting better at my craft all the time. And my dad even took hold of that where he was taking me to all my AAU events. He was traveling with me everywhere. I mean, you know that he would come up to all the Bucknell games. And it wasn't so he couldn't see a game from my success. It was so he could see me be successful. And I truly believe that he, he wasn't in it for anything. Uh, so fast forward to this time where I played for, uh, you know, a season in Iceland, tore my ACL twice. Now, mind you, when I tore my ACL, I didn't have insurance. So I was paying out of pocket. And my parents, wow. my parents were helping me with that as well until I uh, found a job and then I started paying it myself. Um, wow. So I think when I got to that point where I, I just realized that I was done with basketball as a professional, I think that devastated my parents in a sense of, well, one, what are you going to do now? Two, whatever you decide to do, it's not going to be as level of a playing field as sports was. Um. So in, in, in saying that, I think my, you know, my father eventually came to grips with it when I when I when I realized that I wanted to stay within basketball and be be a speed, agility, strength and conditioning coach and uh, just stay around the game. And and again, some of those same principles that he believed um, have those have, have those transition to me now as a coach instead of being the player. Um, yeah. So and, and you know I I I definitely have a lot more thoughts on this um, down the down the road of um, how how uh, how I now interpret what my father says, but we can we can talk about that um, later. But yeah, yeah, they they were they were you know to answer your question, they were definitely definitely devastated, but the blow was softened when I told them that I wanted to stay within basketball and I was really putting all my energy into becoming a uh, basketball uh, sport performance coach in, um, in college. Okay. So um, they have this saying that athletes die twice. Mm. And uh, I think that is really appropriate for uh, this current, this conversation because 
at every point of an athlete's career, there's a first death before their actual death that they have to undergo. And that's the death of being an athlete. Mm. You know, like that realization that I'm no longer going to have to prepare. Not that you not have to, but I no longer going to prepare for competition. Uh, no longer going to be um, uh, celebrated uh, amongst many people. No longer going to be uh, at the center of the limelight. Um, no longer going to be a part of a team. That's a big, that's a big one, I think. Um, and all of these little things that you're just so used to really from childhood, you know, like we've been playing for how long, man? Half, more, more than half our lives. Have more than half our lives. And this is, that's so, it's normal. It's normal to prepare. It's normal to compete. It's normal to be on a team. Uh, it's normal to be the center of attention. Like it's all that stuff is normal. And it is really, really hard to come to grips with the fact that all that ends at some point. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and, and you know what, a lot of parents feed into it and every, all the other stakeholders and, you know, sports feed into it. Like um, when, when you leave playing, you don't just go, but a lot of people who you bring along with you, who admire you, who look up to you, who follow you, um, they all go too. you know what I mean? They, they kind of do this uh, kind of suffering with you. So, uh, I wanted to talk on that because I think um, there's a big part of us, uh, especially like younger kids, when they come up in the game, they don't ever even conceive of how like this will ever end. You know, they just think it's going to be like that forever. Um, And I think you're a perfect example of like, you know, life after the game is really just, it's, it's exactly what it says. It's life. It's a brand new life. You literally bringing up a whole new life for yourself. And, um, so you're in the sports performance industry. Uh, and I, I did have a question. Are you in that? Do you think the impetus for that was because you had been, you had suffered a few injuries of your own? That's exactly why. And I wanted to have, I wanted to help other players avoid what I went through as a player, which, you know, was one of the most devastating injuries that you could possibly have happen to you. So that, that's, that's what really gave me the drive to get into the field and specifically in the college arena. Got it. Got it. So uh, you had this situation, you were, you were hurt. You were sitting there, couldn't play paying insurance out of pocket. Parents are helping you out. And you said, I want to do this. And that was, that was the vision you had in your head. So, yeah, you, I, I, I wish it was that smooth, but, you know, as I said before, it, I, I, I was floating around. Uh, when I say floating around, um, you know, I'm using that figuratively. I was doing different jobs, trying to figure out what I would be best at, um, you know, interviewing people in their jobs to see their likes, dislikes, their pain points within their function. Uh, to figure out what I wanted to do exactly. And that's how I landed on this basically a year after, uh, after playing. Got it. Got it. And um, when it comes to a white paper, so like this vision you have in your head, can you tell me like, what is, what was the first step or first plan of action that you took um, just in order to get the, get the ball rolling? Yeah. So, 
basically I knew that I needed to start getting some experience in in um strength and conditioning. So and it, so this is this has happened multiple times. Uh so I first off I was doing it myself. I was using the experiences that I had as an athlete to train other up and coming athletes. And I knew that in order for me to be hired or to be of interest to any type of organization in the private industry, I needed to start getting experience. So I started spending my time um, at these places and offering my help for, for no cost to them so I could learn. And I knew that, you know, that, that was where the white paper was. I knew that I needed to do this in order to be considered for a full-time role in the private industry as a sports performance coach. So I did that for about a month or so. And, um, you know, I was fortunate that they didn't have a basketball division and I had the enthusiasm to start it. Um, I had the contacts and the network to bring people in. And I also had the know-how as an athlete and uh, the month of training to see the way they did things to have some early on success. Uh, within that organization. So, you know, I fast forward and, you know, three years later, I'm running the, you know, the basketball athletic performance side of a, of an, of a organization that never seen basketball athletics, uh, basketball athletic performance training. So I, uh, I basically looked at it step-by-step to see where, where is it that I need, what is, what are the skills that I need in order to get to where I want to go. And then taking it the next step, you, you mentioned this before, I, I, I started finding myself being unhappy uh, hmm. just being in the uh, private industry because it was more, I'm, I'm, I was always selling and I realized in the sports performance world, you need consistency. And consistency hmm. can only be found when you're a part of a team and where you're going to find that, where you're going to find that team, a team camaraderie and that team, uh, that team, uh, that, that setup is on a college level, at least with the athletes that I wanted to work with. So consistency and that teamship was going to be finding in, within uh, the university setting. Because, again, I, I didn't want to sell. I just wanted to help athletes get better, and I wanted the paychecks to come in regardless. I didn't want to have to sell packages and train because for some people, money is tight, and not everybody yeah. can afford high-level training. So, yeah. you know, with that being said, I, I, again, back to that white paper, I said, well, what do I need to get into college? You know, I was doing all types of research, and I found out that, I needed to get this uh, certification, which I spent four months studying and um, spending time with different collegiate strength coaches. And um, again, fast forward, I get that certification and then I start reaching out to college strength coaches. And I, I was probably turned down or ignored maybe, you know, 30 to 40 times until one guy took an interest in me. Uh, and he happened to take an interest in me because of our former coach, Coach Goodman, uh, who introduced us. And um, next thing you know, I, I was sent down to the University of Texas to meet with the strength coach there, the basketball strength coach there. And then from that, you know, um, one of our other former coaches, Jamie and Christian, he introduced me to 
um, the strength coach at VCU and they had a position available as well. So, you know, I, I basically envisioned what, what I needed to do in order to take the next steps and then just use the hell out of my network to try and get to that next step um, as soon and as effectively as possible. Wow. Okay. A lot to unpack there. So I just want to kind of recap um, what, it, what, how you got there. So I think from what I pulled, I got like your enthusiasm was first, right? Uh, just being able to have the energy. Um, enthusiasm actually is like a Greek word and uh, theos is uh, a Greek term for God. So when someone says like you have enthusiasm, it just means you have, you're filled with God, mm -hmm. essentially. That's what the term means. So you just had this like enthusiasm to, to, to do this work. Um, and then you had a network, um, uh, that's people you build relationships with over time and you're a very sociable person. So that pr your network is probably pretty large. And then, um, the aptitude, which, uh, I think is important. So you, you were a smart guy yourself, but you felt as though you needed some credentials in this industry and you saw what the, what the industry required and you went to go get those credentials. And then once you were in this like specific area, this private sector, you were like, you know what? I don't like selling. And maybe, maybe you, you, maybe you actually are good at selling and you like selling. You just didn't like selling those products exactly to those people. Yep. And then the last piece was like all the rejection that you got, Yep. which I really like to talk about because, uh, you know, uh, what they say, like Howard Schultz, uh, got the word no, um, when he pitched people like 242 times, right. Before he got a yes. Um, so like, thank God for that 243rd person. Uh, cause now we have Starbucks, right. Yep. So, um, like, can you want to talk a little bit about the rejection piece and like how you stay persistent throughout all of that rejection? Yeah, it was, it was difficult. Uh, you know, you, I was very fortunate to have a strong, uh, a strong, foundation and support uh support group behind me who virtually kept my kept my focus after each no and then eventually each no became easier to hear and it it, it started bothering me less and i i just i i reframed my thinking from man they they don't like me to they're just not interested and that's okay. Mm. Everybody has a different interest in the moment. And if you don't, Absolutely. if you don't cater to that interest, then, you know, they just, they're not interested, plain and simple. So okay. I took, I started taking it less personal and that, that act, that reframing made me become even more aggressive uh, because I, I knew that if somebody wanted me, I wanted them to know that I wanted to be, a, I wanted to be with them. And yeah. if they didn't, that's okay. Maybe, yeah. maybe down the line we can reconnect. But right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you everything I could possibly tell you about my excitement for exposition and how I could possibly add value. Nice. Um, so, yeah, the, the rejections became easier and easier as, as time went on just because I, I got used to it. And, and not used to it in a sense of, Oh, I'm just going to be rejected every time. It's just, it's okay to hear no. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to hear no. Good message. Um, so, 
I, I, there's two things I want to cover and then we can uh, kind of talk about it, whatever you want. But um, you, you mentioned how sports, uh, basketball, sports in general is like a meritocracy and how, you know, you can't really withhold any kind of um, uh, earnings, any kind of any, anything that anyone gets in sports usually is earned, right? You can't withhold it from them because it's a, a pure meritocracy. You're going to be, if you're better than me, then you should, you, you'll be able to prove it out on the floor. Right. Um, and then kind of talk a little bit about how you noticed the difference between after you got out of uh, basketball, how you noticed how like the corporate world necess- isn't necessarily a meritocracy uh, in the purest form and uh, why. And I think that's probably why you came back to sports. If, if I'm not mistaken, maybe, that might that might have been a reason, but I'm just I'm assuming now. So you want to talk talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So yeah, you're exactly right. Sports is the pure meritocracy, and um, from my understanding, the corporate world is not. So so I've never actually worked in the corporate world. Uh, everything that I've done has been within sports or sports related. Uh, so I, I, I've never had to deal with the politics of a middle manager trying to sure. take an take an idea that I have and sell it mm-hmm. to uh, executives as as if it's their idea. I, I, I'm, yeah. I've been fortunate where I've never had to deal with that, and that's probably because ev- everything that I've been a part of has been a smaller team, a smaller team of people. Um, yeah. So. I, I've never experienced that. Uh, and I hope that if I do experience something like that in the future, that I have the, the, um, the know-how to handle those situations. Yep. Because again, the things that I've gathered from my father and the things that I see some of my friends deal with on a day-to-day basis, uh, it could be a challenge and it could, it could, uh, it can discourage you. And I think it discourages yeah. a lot of people uh, from being, from continuing to be innovative and c- from continuing to share, which I think sh- sharing and innovation are, are innate to, to humans. And if you're, if, if you're not doing that, you're unhappy. Everybody wants to mm-hmm. share their story. Everybody wants to mentor. Everybody wants to coach. Everybody wants to teach. And all that is to me is sharing. So in the corporate world where innovation is blunted and sharing is blunted because of selfish intentions and, uh, you know, having to pay your dues, you know, that, that's, uh, that's a situation that I don't necessarily want to be in. But if I am in, I, again, I hope that I have uh, people who can help me work through that in the best way possible. So yeah, it's completely, it's completely different um, from what I gathered. And, but I just, I haven't actually lived the corporate lived in the corporate world yet. Sure. Sure. Um, you mentioned your father earlier and uh, I don't, I don't want to ask anything that, you know, you don't want to talk about, but I know you said you wanted to get back to this. Yeah. Um, earlier on. So I'm just going to let you have the floor and you can kind of share whatever it is you'd like to share. Yeah, 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 for sure. So this epiphany just happened to me recently. 
Um, and it, it, it was an unpacking of what my dad said, or I, I don't know if my dad actually meant this, meant this in, meant the meaning that I recently took from it, but it definitely applies. And, you know, when my dad was telling me that sports is a meritocracy, um, I believe what my dad was telling me was talent, talent within sports um, is where the meritocracy is. Okay. Cause if you're not talented, then you don't have, you don't have a leg to stand on. Now in, right, in my right. head, talent can be seen anywhere. Now talent, as I just mentioned in, in the corporate world can be blunted because of, the structure and the people who may be above you, who have selfish intentions. Um, they, they just, they, they don't want your talent to shine. Now, I think that's where entrepreneurship is. So is so sought after because mm. it's an idea. It's your talent. It's something that you're bringing to the table that may or may not exist. And you're being mm. judged on that idea and the value that it either bring that it brings to, you know, the stakeholders in the world, whether it's investors or consumers or um, yourself. Uh, so I think, I think that, you know, ownership, ownership of your talent, um, ownership of your idea is, is what my dad was, you know, what my dad would have, told me later on in my life um mm -hmm. you know it's you can you can easily work a job and be paid for a job with within any corporation um yeah. but if you have a if you have a concept if you have an idea and you bring that idea to the world and it, it brings great value to others then you're going to be judged on that versus in a corporate world being judged on other things and, um, you know, the, the, the structures that you need to go through in order to continue to rise up. Your, your idea, your talent is going to, in the entrepreneurial world, will have you, will, will allow you to skyrocket past many of the people in the safe corporate, the corporate structures. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, you know, in, in, and again, this epiphany that I recently had was, you know what? It's, it's okay not to be an athlete. It's, it's okay to use your mind because I think there's infinite, infinite possibilities when you're using your mind versus using your body. As you and I both know, we've sustained different injuries and your body wears down and you just get older and father time is undefeated. You know, hmm. it, it just, it, it's not, it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Uh, but your mind can be used until the day of your death. And, you know, innovation and inspiration is everywhere. Uh, it's just a matter of how you look at it. So, you know, when saying all that, I, I, think, I, I think if my dad was alive today, he would appreciate how I reframed what he told me and, and try to turn it into something that, is sustainable. Um, creating, creating, creation is infinite. You know, um, creation through the mind is infinite. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, 
you know, that epiphany, yeah. that epiphany that I had is, is, is something that's really recently empowered me to another level um, to know that, you know, I may not be in sports for the next five years of my life and that's okay. I, I, I'm completely okay with that because there are other interests that I have in, in, in innovations that I would love to see come to past um, and I don't need to stay in my comfort zone because I've, I, I did, I, because I've been in basketball all my life. I can utilize yeah. my mind to step into other places and, um, and see these concepts come, uh, come to past. Yeah. I think uh, you talked that you, you hit on a lot of good things there and I just want to kind of summarize what I gathered. So um, when you're, when you're brought up, in sports uh, as a youth, I think you're told a lot of untruths. Mm -hmm. And um, like the first being, you know, like, especially just in the culture of basketball, you know, like using your mind isn't um, as, you know, uh, it's, it's not as emphasized. Like they, they tell you to use your mind when you're out on the floor and think and make, you know, make good decisions. But like in the, within the culture amongst the youth, like it's not it's not cool to be smart, right? It's not cool to read. Yep. Uh, that's just not something that's prevalent in the culture. It's more cool to you know be able to dunk and have all of these um, physical abilities. But as you mentioned, you know the brain is a very very powerful muscle, probably the most important muscle. Maybe one would argue. Um, but there is like the codependency. And I think um, you, you, this is an untruth that isn't told in basketball. You know, the brain is as dependent on the body as the body is on the brain. Mm. And, and like both need to be kept uh, in incredible shape and both need to be continually challenged and uh, rigored in order to be sharpened. Um, so you can't neglect one without the other. But, you know, in basketball, you're almost told to like, neglect not told but influenced to neglect the one over the other yep no uh, so that's the first untruth and then well, the second hold on. Untruth. so before before you get to that let's let's take a second to think about this because this was another epiphany that i that i had um okay. probably within the past few months i look back at our days at bucknell and uh you know exactly what you said you know where we we go home over the summer and we're, we're forced, we're not forced, but we chose to focus on the physical part of our development rather than the mental part of our development. So if we look at our classmates, the majority of our classmates, classmates did internships over the summer so they can get an understanding of what they liked and what they didn't like. And yeah. the environment that either we created or that we were in said, no, 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 no. You're basketball players. You work on the physical during the summer and improve and you come back with new tools and skills. And then when you come back, you're going to be a better player and the team is going to be better. Whereas our classmates were going over this, going into the summer and saying, well, I'm going to do this internship and that internship utilizing their mind. To, yeah. to be exposed to different parts of different parts of industry that um, they may or may not be interested in, but they wouldn't know that unless they did those internships. So here we are as basketball players thinking we're cool or we're not worried about any of those internships. We're going to go play professional basketball after college with, without this 
long-term vision of we need to be focused on college and growing our minds because college is about life after basketball. It's about, it's not about the development of becoming a basketball player within college. Like that, that's a part of it, but it's life after basketball. And that's why you go to four years of school. So that, you know, I, I, I was thinking about that recently when, when I, you know, a guy that I was around in, in my um, private, private sector days was Lance Thomas. And this dude was trying to get back. He was trying to get back into the NBA. He was drafted. He was a free agent. He was picked up by a couple teams and then dropped. And during this time that he's doing his skills workout in Long Island, um, him and I struck up a conversation. He said, yeah, right after I finish the skills work, I'm, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to my internship. And I was like, what? I was like, hmm. I was like, you're 20, 25, 26 years old, an internship. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, just on the side, I, 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 um, I, I'm working for this, uh, this, uh, for this finance company. I, I can't remember what it was, but I'm, I'm working for this company down on Wall Street, and oh, I, excuse me, I'm interning with this uh, company down on Wall Street, and uh, just giving me a look into what they do and spend time with these guys, and it's awesome, and, and they pay me a few dollars as well. And in my head, I'm like. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. What did I miss? But again, yeah. go, going back to that environment, you know, what environment were the Duke guys in versus or yeah. the, what, it, what, what perspectives did the Duke guys allow themselves to see versus what perspectives did we allow us as Bucknellians, Bucknell basketball players, what, what perspectives did we allow ourselves to see? So. Yeah, I think there's a few things like I, I want to keep diving into this. So, uh, you know, like you're almost um, brought up to like to have guilt if because, you know, like time is you're taught that time is scarce. Right. Um, so like in the summertime, you only have so much time to improve. And anytime you're not spending improving, you're a detriment to the team because the, con the concept is everyone is improving. And if you're not, then you're behind and you're not helping the team. Yep. Uh, and then also this like co concept of like a zero sum game, like any time that I'm not spending uh, training on basketball, uh, someone else is, and therefore I lose. Mm -hmm. So um, I need to put all of my, all the most, all the, all of the conceivable time that I possibly have into improving my craft. And then another untruth that I think uh, we should talk about is um, what are you, what, what can you actually leverage in your life? So you mentioned this um, about this guy, Lance Thomas, who was truly enlightened because um, you know, I can speak for, I can speak out of experience when I was playing in college, like all I thought I was going to play forever and no one told me otherwise. Right. You know? Yep. And I think that like that dream, that, that concept and, you know, belief needs to be killed early as a, as a, if you're a college coach or even in the college um, arena, like you got to tell all your student athletes, like you're done after this Ch chances are, this is your last experience playing competitive sports at a high level and per start preparing them for this, um, this next stage where they have to leverage something else other than their athletic prowess, you know, uh, and in Lance's case, 
he was leveraging his connections or maybe his likability or maybe even like how smart he was. I mean, to be at, to be at wall street at that age, he's gotta be, gotta be pretty smart. Right. So what do you, what else are you going to develop that you can leverage? Cause at the end of the day, the, where the, where the world is taking us, the people who are really ahead have been able to leverage assets that they've either acquired or developed over time uh, more than others. And that's really the name of the game. And you're not really taught that you're taught to leverage your athletic ability, but you're not uh, taught to leverage anything else. And then, and then the last thing, and I, I want to talk about that you mentioned um, is the creation piece, like innovating, creating, uh, because that is almost like in complete, um, what's the word, uh, competition. Well, not, not, not complete competition, but that's a, the polar opposite of the concept of competition, right? So if, um, for instance, let's say you have this idea, right? And I say, oh, well, so-and-so already has this idea, so you can't do it because it's too similar. And we're all, a lot of us are taught, well, because of that, like competition is going to be hard, so we should just stop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and really in this world, like you don't like, it's especially in this entrepreneurial world that you're talking about. Um, it's, it's more, it should be more based around creation. Like I'm creating something and creation and, and competition are in total um, different set sides of the spectrum. They shouldn't even be considered with one another. You know, if, if that was the case, if coming up with an idea and like stopping it because there's competition was the case, then there would be no duopolies, no oligopolies. There'd be, there'd be all monopolies in this country. That's it. Yeah. Just every, there'd be one of everything. And that's not the case because there's a lot of value in creating. People have different tastes um, and people have uh, different desires. And every single creation is an attempt to kind of pull at someone's specific desire. And there's too many of us on this country, in this world, in this earth, that one there's only one way to, you know, skin a cat. And uh, those are some of the big untruths. I think we are kind of um, taught, you know, in our childhood, you know, coming up in, in the sports world. So I did want to just talk about that a little bit, but uh, I know you guys mentioned, you want, you wanted to mention something. So I'll let you go. Ahead. Yeah. So, you know, you, you talked about assets and uh, something that I recently read and, and um, had a mentor mention to me, uh, or, you know, let me, let me rewind here, getting a little convoluted. So I was speaking with a mentor and my mentor said, you should be unabashed, should not be ashamed in what you want. What is your North star? And, you know, I, and I initially told him that I want to, at some point in my life, solve pain points within other people's lives like adding value in other people's lives is what really gets me excited and that's true but my mentor challenged me he said yeah that that sounds good that and that's good that you have that but what do you really want and Mm. it made me think I I said you know what I want to be wealthy I want to be wealthy not just for me but to take care of the people that I care about And however that looks, whether that's taking care of them via a vacation, taking care of them via 
paying off a house or wh- whatever it is. I want to I want to live a comfortable lifestyle where I'm financially free. Um, hmm. And I said that to him. He's like, OK, now now we're getting somewhere. This is your North Star. You want to be wealthy. Now, there there are different uh, objectives that you need to hit in order to get to this point. And that, that is. But now you have your North Star. You want to be wealthy. You want to be financially free. So I said, yeah. Now, now somehow I came. Well, I, I, um, some, uh, this article and it was about what you know in your 20s um, about finance. And the thing that this article mentioned was if you want to be wealthy, you need to own assets. And in my head, I was like, yeah, that's, that's innovation. That's, that's taking your concept and making it a reality. But that's what I thought in that moment. But more recently, I thought that's being an owner. That's being an owner, not an employee. Mm-hmm. Um, being an owner of X. Uh, so, you know, whoever created the guys that created Airbnb, they created an asset. And ultimately, when they decide, they, they, right now, they probably have financial freedom and they could walk away from Airbnb and, and be good for the rest of their lives. Um, but they own an asset. And I'm, in my head, owning ideas. Or like owning assets, but you you have to execute on that idea. Um, so there's there's still there's there's still plenty of work. It's not I just come up with a great idea and now I own a million dollar asset or a billion dollar asset. There needs to be execution. So I just you know I think that's some, something that's really important for me. And this this right now this conversation that you and I are having and this monologue that I'm doing right now is is probably a little bit of thinking out loud uh, for me, um, which it's also helping me, but I also hope to be helping other people uh, with this, but with, with my intention of wanting to be wealthy and being financially free, I know that I cannot do that as an employee. Bingo. Yeah. Um, You are, we're we're touching on the next step that I want to take on this uh, talk. You did. You mentioned a little bit about these Airbnb guys. I did want to just throw a quick story. I'm sure you know it, uh, but for the people who are, might be listening, so like obviously they had a white paper, right? Um, they wanted to share uh, real, will have a shared real estate uh, via technology, and that was their ultimate white paper. That, but they're uh, they couldn't. They they weren't. They didn't have enough capital to start this. So what they did to raise capital was start a new business, another business, mm-hmm. right? Which is uh, what Obama owes, I think it yeah. was, the cereal. Obama owes so, um, um, Cap- Captain uh, McCain's or. Yeah, Cap- yeah. So like, so um, this kind of circles back to what you were saying, like your foundational desire, your friend that you spoke to, your mentor asked you, all right, what do you want to do? So yeah, obviously it's obvious what you want to want to do, but like you have to really think what's your foundational desire. That was what his, his real question was. Um, your foundational desire, like at the bottom of everything, you want to be financially free. And now that you know where you want the journey to, to end, like how, how do you get there? Yeah. So this kind of comes back to um, the whole, really the whole concept of this podcast, like, you your what what you want to put on this next white paper is freedom. Yep. 
And, and in order to get there, what, how do you map that out? And I think you're discovering that. And um, honestly, you're going to spend a good portion of your life discovering that because uh, as much of a desire as it is amongst all of us, it is a very difficult thing to attain. Uh, however, very worthwhile um, as you're you know, going along the journey. But the reason why there aren't more financially free people is because it's so difficult. So um, knowing full well that you like, obviously know, you know how difficult it is um, and you've probably started to embark on the journey. Do you want to kind of tell us a little bit about how you intend on getting there? Um, maybe even just rough ideas and um, what like obstacles you see that might be in the way. Yeah. So I know that in order to be financially free, I, as I stated before, I need to be an owner. Um, and I need to own and execute an idea. Uh, and you and I had talked about this before, not necessarily a billion dollar idea, but own and execute a million dollar idea to get, as you said, to get on first base. Right. And right. then, you know, taking that million dollar idea and seeing if you can grow it in other, in other, um, in other verticals. And uh, once, once it reaches its max growth, then moving on to the next thing that you may be interested in and trying to grow that to a hundred million idea, a hundred million dollar idea. And, and, you know, that's you getting on second base and, you know, not because not everybody can just come up with, the Uber and the Airbnb. The, and and it, it, if your first base hit happens to turn into a, into a, a grand slam because the market is fumbling and the conditions are perfect and then so be it. But, yeah. you know, in, in most cases it's going to be incremental steps. And I, and I'm aware of that. Um, so in order to do that, I need to get the know-how I, I need to, I need to learn what are, you know, what are the, um, what are the steps within business for me to take X idea that's in my head and to how am I going to market brand? Uh, how is it going to be financially possible? I need to think about all these things. Uh, is, 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 the, is the product or the service, is it something that the market even wants? Um, you know, it's like, there's a ton of things that go into it, but I think it's... Um, you know, that, that is the next step for me. Uh, and whether that is me doing it myself, me doing it with a, with a buddy who could, you know, eventually become a co-founder. I, I hesitate to say co-founder as if, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I'm doing something right now, but you know, me doing some, some research and um, digging deeper into my ideas with a buddy uh, or it's, me leaving basketball completely and working at a startup or working at uh, working within uh, the corporate world to learn how business is done. And I can leverage those experiences along with my experiences as somebody in the sports world to create something that I think would add value into the world. Yeah, I think um, that's the next step, right? Just kind of figuring out what the first step is. Yep. Um, and 
I, I don't like, I don't have a, a, a blueprint for you um, because if I, if I did, I'd be, I'd be lying. But I do think, you know, a part of that is just um, taking a step, no matter what it is, uh, taking a step that um, you can learn from. I think a, a really good quote I heard the other day is, um, I think Oprah said it actually. She said like, all failure is, is information, mm. right? So, uh, you know, so you take any step forward and, you know, oh, I messed that up as opposed to like, you you know, letting that get you down or discouraging you. You're just like, okay, well, now I know the information I've gathered from that is I don't step in this direction. Yep. So let me step in another one. So, um, yeah, like just don't be afraid to like fail and just take failure as information. And then uh, you'll be able to deduce what the next, you know, the best route is just by taking a step, any step. Yeah. Um, that's the one thing I think, uh, um, not, not just like you, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about you at all here, but just people in general, when they, they want to make a change, they're just afraid to take a step. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you just gotta, you just gotta get busy, you know, just start stepping all over the place and, um, gathering information from every step you take, you know, I'll tell you this, and this, this was something that I've been thinking about recently and maybe other people have been thinking about it, but, I think I'm less afraid of failing and more afraid of wasting time because I know time of time is of the essence. And that is the, the limited resource that we have on this world that there's nothing we can do to get more of it. Um, So what I'm afraid of is spending three months going after something at a high level or at a high clip and then realize it was a waste of time. Now it's not a complete waste of time because you learned some things within that you got, you got, you gathered some information and, but at the same time, what, what keeps me a little bit hesitant from jumping in with both feet is the, am I wasting my time with this? And, you know, again, it comes back. I, I think it comes back to what you and I, talked about before the environment that you're in if you're if you're around other people who are just saying no dude you're not wasting your time move forward just keep going if you if you see other people doing it whatever environment you're in as we talked about at Bucknell versus Duke or wherever we can say whatever school they want you will become whatever environment you're you're in so if you have a bunch of people second guessing themselves that's what you're going to do if you have a bunch of people saying I'm just gonna I'm going to go for this I'm going to take a year. I'm going to attack this. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least I have a, a great story to tell other people or to share with um, whatever company that may be looking to hire me. Uh, if you're in that environment, then that's who you're going to become. So I, I think for me personally, and, in, in, you know, I just in talking out and thinking out loud in order for in order to make any of this a reality, I need to be in the right environment. Uh, I, I agree and disagree with you. Um, I think, uh, environment helps obviously, but, um, I think you're shortchanging your discipline. Uh, I think you're someone who's extremely disciplined in order to be a sports performance coach. And, uh, you can't, any, no one can see Don, but, uh, he still has, he has the body of a, a Greek God, I guess. And, and that's, and that's uh, <laughs> Honestly, man. I mean, I'm trying to get to his level, but um, 
it takes incredible discipline to, to, to accomplish what you've accomplished and to have what you have. So I do think, yes, the environment is definitely plays a role and it, it assists, but I don't think it's like a complete deterrent to advancement. Yeah. Um, I think there's people who are in poor environments. I mean, look at, this might be a really stretch of an example, but like, look at um, Malala, the girl who was fighting for like um, gender equality in mm. a country uh, that didn't have any, right? Like her environment was pre- pretty much told her like, no, you're not equal to uh, any man that you live under and neither are your other, you know, fe- other, you know, female um, uh, uh, friends and family and all, and all of that. Uh, but she was like, no, nah, forget that. You know what I mean? Like I have this, uh, there's a better, there's a better tomorrow for all of us. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there is a quality exists. Um, that might be the information she had access to, but that might just be her being like, no, I don't, I'm like, F that. You know what I mean? I'm not yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so like, I, I do think environment helps, but I do also think like people with discipline and like incredible, like um, vision and like persistence uh, and just like a lot, like a, like a lot of fire behind them uh, really just say like, forget the environment. I'm changing this. I'm blazing this trail, you know? Uh, so that, I, I, I disagree with that a little bit. And then the other piece, I don't think there's anything is like such any such thing as like time wasted. Mm. I'm starting to come to this like um, conclusion because I used to believe, I used to agree with you where, you know, I put all this time into something and now it's like a sunk cost. I can never get that time back. And that, and I just feel like I, I took I, all that energy I spent was it like just not in the right area, but for it's more important. I think that time that I, that I, you know, per, you know, the perception of that time that I've wasted is actually more informative than any time that I had that, you know, I was experiencing, you know, success. Mm. Um, because like they say in basketball, I, I always bring it back to sports for some reason, but uh, they say like, you know, you lose, you, you learn way more from your losses yep. than your win. Yeah. And um, imagine a team who just like constantly wins, but like has bad habits. You know what I mean? Yeah. They really don't know. Like all it takes is a good coach and some, uh, some disciplined kids to beat you. Uh, and I think that, like learn you learn from disappointment way more than you do from success and and victory for sure for sure that that's a that's so, a great point man so like i don't think you have anything to lose with any energy you put towards anything you yeah. know the very worst that can happen is you've gained information and you learned that all right i need to redirect my energy somewhere else but now you know where not to go it's almost like it's a process of elimination, you know, like, all right, now, now I know I don't do this with, I don't either, it's either I don't do this, this thing, or I don't do this thing with this person, or I don't do anything with this person or people. Everything's going to be information. Uh, I learned, uh, I got a, um, I was at a, a, a talk yesterday and this lady, she was talking about how um, she kind of whittled her uh, circle from like, 50 to like seven people. And she thought when she first started this business, she thought she had like 50 people she could trust that would help her get to where she wanted to get to. And over time she started to learn that like 
a lot of them were shady. A lot of them were dependent. And she whittled that list down. And um, a lot of those people that she thought she were in her circle are no longer in her circle. They're actually no longer her friends, right? Mm-hmm. But she, she knew where she needed to get to. And the people that she didn't even think would pop up and, like, rise to the top, rose to the top. And, like, they're some of her most, like, loyal friends and partners and, and, and people that, you know, she's um, trusted for, you know, I think four or five years now. And I think that says so much about what time will do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just like you really have like this concept that is going to be shattered as you just go on, go on a journey. Like everything you believe um, will either be challenged or cha- it will change as soon as you get go on an actual journey. Mm. It's so, uh, a great point, man. Yeah. So I think that's just a few things that like, I wanted to point out from what you said, because I, I don't want you to like think, I don't want you to limit yourself by thinking, okay, well, I, I need to be in another environment to do this or, um, you know, I don't want, or anything I do that isn't fruitful is a waste of my time. Right. You know? Right. Uh, definitely don't believe that. So. No, that's, that's, that's a great point. And I, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. It's uh, I, I would just like to apologize to anybody listening to this and saying, man, I thought I was going to listen to an expert. Like, no, you're, you're listening to a vulnerable, uncertain, but, um, but dedicated person um, to who, who, who wants to reach a goal, but, probably has a lot of the same in you know inhibitions that other others have man no one here is an expert bro we yeah. this is why this is the reason i like i started this show this um podcast mm. because i think there's a lot of people like every podcast you hear most of them, most of them not everyone because there's a ton of them but the ones that i listen to at least are of, of people who are already accomplished Yep. Right. They're, they're already where they want to be. And we all kind of live through them because we want to be there too. But the reality is like, there's, that's a small percentage of people and there's a lot more blessings to be got. You know what I mean? So uh, why not talk about it as we're on the journey, yeah. as opposed to like, once the journey's over, for sure, you know, so, um, just like you're vulnerable, man, I'm just as vulnerable. I'm just as, uh, I'm always iterating, always trying to, um, you know, hone the the skills that I have and learn. And um, I'm no better than the next man. Neither one of us is where we want to be, but we both got these ideas. Is this? We got this idea we're trying to put on paper and put into reality. And I think that's really the whole point of all of this. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, so I want to I want to conclude uh, here pretty soon. But yep. I do have a few concepts here I want to throw at you, uh, since we're kind of talking a lot about like high level, you know, ideation uh, type of things um, and concepts. So I'm gonna. This is how it's gonna work. I'm gonna throw five terms at you. Okay. okay. However, your mind discriminates that term. Just come out and say whatever is on your mind about it. You okay. can talk as long or as little as possible. You can literally say one word. Okay. Um, and we'll just go from there and then we'll conclude. Okay. So, uh, my first term is truth. Be who you are. 
Nice, nice. Uh, next term is faith. Believing that what you're doing is going to change other people's lives for the better. Okay. Happiness. Feeling fulfilled in all parts of your life, whether you are happy or you're sad, you still feel fulfilled. Wow. I like that. Love. Unconditional. Unconditional, no color, no discrimination. Okay. And my last one, family. Most times, people you consider to be family will not be blood. And those blood relatives, you won't consider to be family. But the people who are family, you know that they have your back and they're there in your support network. Mm, I like that. Um, okay. Is there anything you want the people to, that are going to be listening to this to know uh, before we get off? You, you know what? You know what I would say, Abe? And I, 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 uh, I really would be excited to do this podcast again two years from now, three years from now, almost like a, a check-in. I feel like a year is too short, but like, you know, if, if you're doing these with people, maybe it's a two-year or three-year check-in and say, where are you at now? And to juxtapose that with the first or the second uh, previous Let's podcast that they did. Because I think the growth that can be seen uh, could be an inspiration in itself. Because as you said, this is about the journey, less so about where we've reached, um, where we reached to this point, because obviously neither you nor I have reached the levels that we've wanted to reach. So I think we can, we, we have, obviously you and I talk all the time, but, you know, having the people, uh, whoever listens to this, having them see like, Oh man, this, this guy was here three years ago and now this is where he is. Whoa. What, what happened? What did he do? What, you know, what, what were some of the lessons that he took from their conversation and the lessons that he's learned throughout that, throughout that journey? I think that'd be great. man. I think that's a great idea. So let's check in. We'll do it. We'll yeah. do it. Okay. Great, um, man. man, I much appreciate it. Thanks for your patience with me, man, this morning. No and uh, I wish you the best. We'll definitely be talking. Yes, sir. Love you, bro. Love you too, man. Take care. Later. Later.